Welcome to Stories of Expansion, created by Gosha Gona and me, Wun Tan. This podcast shares inspiring expansion stories. We speak to amazing guests who have turned the biggest challenges and fears into blessings for themselves and others. We will be exploring how they've overcome their personal and business challenges to create a bigger impact and make a difference in the world. We will learn how they have survived and blossomed in times of challenge. We believe that the world needs us more than ever before. It is time to stop procrastinating and playing small. Let's show up more fully and achieve what we're here to do together. So hello and welcome to another episode of the Stories of Expansion podcast. I'm your host, Wun Tan. So my next guest is a business mentor of mine who is the founder of Human 5.0 and he is a conscious business coach and he teaches people authentic leadership and spirituality and energy and how to manage yourself. And in this story that he's going to be sharing, he transformed his life from a very successful business into a completely different business altogether and he is going to be sharing a very very interesting story and in how he has done that and i think it's such a fascinating story that you learn a lot about trusting yourself and also really trusting the universe so gosha what did you think about this episode yeah i absolutely agree that um our ne- next guest has showed a master class ex- example of how to trust intuition. Um, so we often don't know what to do in life and we, as friends, or we ponder over things for weeks and months and years, but often it's really simple. Ask the universe for a sign and listen to it and take it seriously, right? Be lighthearted about it, but take it seriously. So the story of how he gets a message that what he's been doing for years has come to the end and it's time to shift his life. It's spectacular. So that is my favorite part of this podcast. Uh, He asks clearly of the universe, what do I do next? Is it A? Is it B? Is it uh, C? Give me a sign. And he gets it. And then he goes and changes his life completely um, with a great outcome. So I think that's something we can all learn from. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and please welcome my guest, Daniel Halenko. What's your story? You know, how did you get to where you are right now? So it's a very open question. Okay. I think first by just taking stock of just where I would consider that I am right now. Um, I'd say I'm the creator of Human 5.0. It's a program which delivers evolutionary leadership and awakening support for leaders. And So how did I get here? So five years ago, I was still the managing director of our family business. I grew up in a family business that my dad started. So I was second generation, which which focused on fire and security services. So we designed, installed and maintained fire, CCTV and intruder alarm systems uh, across the UK, but predominantly in the Northwest. And I had been doing that since... About 11 years old, which is about the time when slave trade usually begins in family businesses, uh, working for the sum of uh, £99 a week up until 
some point late in my teens. I know that. It took me a long time before I renegotiated my wage with my dad. Um, and just always got taught to just keep your head down and just work hard. So five years ago, I was still running that. But I had about 10 years ago discovered personal development and self-success and the ability to uh, improve one's life. So I was well along that journey, but still right in the midst of it. I was probably just beginning to raise money or look at raising money and really starting to see my role in the business very different from how it had always been with my dad. Mm-hmm. I was probably a bit further along the path than that, but I was definitely in the midst of family business. The whole future of everything was around growing that company. Um, I don't think I'd started looking at smart technology, maybe just started looking at smart technology, uh, but I was really trying to move the, the company into a modern a modern sphere of a company, bringing in phones and apps and how do we sign documents and remove paperwork and how do we allow a customer to be able to see where the engineer's van is and what time he'll arrive and all those sorts of questions rather than it just being traditional, you know, so a customer would phone the office to ask a question. I wanted to move us more online. Mm-hmm. That was my world five years ago. So you were, you were based in Manchester, you were working for your dad and what, what would you say is the biggest struggle or biggest challenge working in a family business? Um, well, we had, I came back from traveling. I left the country for about three years, about 10 years ago. That's when I took over the family business. So there has been a gradual progression of working for my dad, working with my dad, uh, my dad working there, and then my dad not working there. And I wish it was as simple as that in terms of a linear progress, but it is definitely not. Uh, me and my father have had a very loving, but a very ruckus, is that a word? Yeah, a very ruckus relationship as well. So anyone that's worked in a family business will understand this. Absolutely. You love them and you hate them. Um, but if you're living with your family, you eat, sleep and breathe it. Um, you're discussing it all the time. I wouldn't change it for the world. I really wouldn't. I have worked hand and glove side by side with my dad since I was like 11 years old. So really close. But at the same time, I didn't really know my dad. Not like I know him now because every conversation was around work. And there's actually a point towards the end when we, when once I'd sold the business that I didn't actually know what me and my dad would even talk about. I remember that. I remember that feeling of like, oh, like, what are we going to discuss? So working with a family business can be very, very difficult. But the biggest thing that I realized is so many of those arguments were my fault. Mm-hmm. So many of them. He, he may have not helped the situation at the time, perhaps, but uh, it takes two to tango. One person can't have an argument with another person. It requires both people to want to have an argument, even if it's subconscious. Uh, and I wanted an argument sometimes. And it had to be my way, which I got from my dad because everything had to be his way. And if two people want it to be their way, um, it's generally going to end in an argument. So the biggest thing that I learned from it all after a long time was that we're both on the same boat and we both generally want to row it in the same direction. We just have different rowing strategies. Uh, And once we started implementing family meetings, uh, that really, really helped. And once I started to just grow up a little bit, that really helped as well. It does help if you grow up. Mm-hmm. 
And so what would you say were some examples of turning points that you had, you had to experience when you were sort of in that phase? In terms of a better relationship with my father? Yes. There was a point when I legally became the managing director of the company. But my dad hadn't, upon reflection, my dad hadn't processed that. And a good period of time occurred where I hadn't fully processed it, really. And I was probably still too young. Um, and neither of us had coaches at that time or anything like that. Uh, and so a period of time happened where there'd be a lot of arguments because we didn't realize it, but he was still like shadow running the company. And I was subconsciously allowing that to happen because I didn't even know it was happening. So a big turning point came when I had that out with my dad. And I said, look, you either let me run the company or, or you run the company. And he came back the next day and he actually apologized the next day and realized what he'd been doing. And, and, and that was a big turning point, a big turning point. And we realized that we had lack of clarity between each other. We had lack of communication, so many things that weren't happening. And there was a big jump up between how my father wanted to run the company and how I wanted to run the company. We, we saw very different worlds and to move it forward required us to have more regular meetings and more discussions about stuff. And that's something that my father had never grown up having. You know, he just, he was as much boots on the ground and working as the rest of an engineer was. And so the, having meetings to discuss stuff wasn't, uh, or to plan things moving forward, wasn't really something in his radar. So trying to transition from doing day-to-day -day things into where are we going next month was a massive mindset shift. And so much of our arguments came from, or so much of our disagreements came from not having that clarity. So that was a really big turning point for us. The rest of the turning points for me were really about understanding that he has a view and I have a view. It doesn't make either of our views right or wrong, but for as long as I don't understand his point of view, and for as long as he doesn't understand my point of view, there'll always be a bone of contention between us. And I know, I know you personally. You, you're sort of a creative person, and I'm guessing he is of a different personality. And obviously, he's, he's obviously from a different generation as well. And how do you manage that difference? When I profiled him once, my dad's fairly polar opposite to me. He's a very good problem solver, a very good thinker. Um, but And I used to think that problem solving meant you were a creative type, but it's not necessarily. And he definitely has that in him, but he's much more of a grounded tempo energy. Um, there is a, specifically with family businesses, and specifically if the generation prior to you is first generation, like my father was. So as far as my dad was concerned, the family business was his baby. And this actually comes down to one of the turning points is whether the founder is ready to let go of the baby. Just like any founder of any company, even if you're a single entrepreneur and you're not moved, handing it over to a, an, another generation, there's a point where, where the business, the entity of the business, no longer is suited and served by the original founder. And we see this time and time again when you look at Jack Dorsey from um, Twitter or Zuckerberg from Facebook. I remember going to a program once and it started talking about the life cycles of business and the life cycles of the business owner and the life cycle of the industry. 
And all of these things are at play at once. And I thought about our industry and I thought about our business, which was 25 years old at that time. And I thought about our industry, uh, the founder, which was my father. And I realized that um, the industry was only barely just coming into maturity, into the into its prime. But the the company and the founder were moving on into more um, the, the elderly side of, uh, or the more mature side of, the life cycle. So managing that with my dad really was around him realizing that you can't make someone realize something like someone for someone to have to change. They have to want to do that. And that was a big process that took a good couple of years to come around him being okay with letting go and loosening his grip on the business, understanding that I'm going to make mistakes, understanding that it's going to go in a different direction. These are all things that are are almost non-negotiable if you're going to hand off to someone else. Mm. He'd enjoyed the success that I'd done from reinvigorating a lot of stuff when I first came on board. I mean, I, I doubled the size of the company in the space of a couple of years when I first joined because it hadn't innovated in a long time. It was still doing the stuff it had done when it first started 15, 20 years ago at the time. So that that was a big thing to manage. And it really comes down to who you are. I can't manage who my father is. I can't manage who you are, but I can manage who I am and how I show up to situations. Um, So one of the things that I've learned is that it's very difficult to influence your family. (laughs) And uh, it's always easier to become the example and you know, like just do it sort of thing. And and, and sort of they get inspiration from that. Do you think that's the case? Yes. And I would say the biggest thing, you just reminded me of something, is is not just, he's, he's doing it. It's like, you can have all these ideas and everything, but if you can't follow through, if you can't own your mistakes, if you can't fix something, you will very quickly lose trust with whoever it is that was watching, whether that is a family member or a member of staff or a loved one or whatever. And I think reliability and trust are universal. So if a uh, if a father or or another director or anybody consistently sees you not follow through, consistently sees you fail, consistently sees you not fixing things, then that relationship is not going to get better. It, it does not mean that a parent won't love you. But the minute you've got business involved, there is something else at play. There just, just is. Like, yes, you want to make a family decision that's best for the family, but not at the expense of something that would damage the – I always used to think of the company like a baby. If you think of it like a baby, you you know, you know don't want – someone's hitting the baby. You're not just going to keep letting that happen. But any family member would be forgiven for giving a bit more leeway to somebody, okay? But so long as they're showing signs of improvement. So I think being the example and doing stuff will always – let's say we're not win favor, but we'll always prevail. We'll always work. And that was one of the big things that was a turning point for me was realizing that there were so many things that I was not finishing off because I'm a creator profile and I was a bit raw back then, a bit wilder. And there were so many things that I didn't follow through with. Uh, and there were things that I didn't own. And with our human 5.0 program, one of the first things we have is the declaration of ownership. And we call it the Declaration of Ownership. We also have child-friendly versions as well. Because you either own your shit or you don't. Mm. Warts, glory, and all, whatever that is. And if you can't own it, don't dish it. And if you can't own it, then start there. You're not going to improve on anything if you don't begin by taking stock of all of your glory, but all of the baggage and the crap that comes with it. And doing something with it, you can't brush it under the table. 
You, you can momentarily put it in a cupboard, but you're just delaying the inevitable, especially in a family business or any business whatsoever. Skeletons will always come out. Yeah. So that was the, um, once I started to really own my stuff um, and then be an example where I finish things off and just all these little things that might sound so simple, but as a young 20 year old into mid twenties, they were all massive life lessons for me. And I look back now and I think, how on earth did my dad have so much patience? And I have apologized enough now as a son that he understood. We have a complete understanding now and a really good relationship. And all the times when he would say, just finish it off, just say sorry. And I realized he was just teaching me. Amazing. So so we'll get on to the Human 5.0 course that you have uh, later. But I want to sort of dig down a bit in terms of the transition. So you've been the managing director of this business. And how did you move on? Like, What, what was your next step when when you realized you, you were going to... Because I believe you sold your business. Yes. So I can definitely tell you. I can definitely tell you two things. One, it was a long time coming. Two, I did not see it coming. Oh, wow. Now, I know that they're paradoxical, but in hindsight, there were enough signals on the wall to say something was wrong. Because I, if anyone had stopped me, I would have said, I am very happy. I'm in my floor, loving what I'm doing. I love the direction we're going. Things are great. But there was enough that, that there'd been a couple of times when I definitely come home, throwing myself against a wall and said, that's it, I quit. And by the next morning, you know, my partner, Christina, would be like, are you okay now? Yeah, you're going back into work? Yeah, and I go back into work and carry on. And I think I just thought everyone did that. And they probably do. I think there's moments when we all think I've had enough. But I realize now that that is true. But I think when you're really in flow and you really love what you're doing, you don't do that. You can have difficult days, but the difficult days were getting more and more difficult. And it was only when... When I started to look at smart homes and smart technology, I was starting to get excited again. I didn't necessarily like the fact that my industry worked on fear, but I thought it kind of goes against my whole value set. Uh, but I thought, well, okay, maybe part of my role is to change that and never sell on fear and and work with, I loved the fact that we worked with schools. I really liked helping and supporting schools so they could uh, manage their staff better so they didn't have to have as many uh, teachers in playgrounds and that teachers could spend more time with the students all these sorts of things i liked that side of it um but i realized what kept me in the company was people i loved people i loved my team i loved helping my team i loved coaching them i loved furthering their development uh i liked bringing camaraderie together uh, once every couple of weeks when we had our team meeting i would cook for the whole company so every every couple of i think when we used it started with us getting butties for people on a, uh, for the meeting. But when we moved offices, we had a little kitchen and I brought in a, or we had a kitchen space and I brought in a, a big massive oven and everything. And so we would cook like a full Sunday English breakfast once a month for the whole company, sit down on plates. And, and that had been my dream for years. Like, how do we just make a family out of a company? And I used to say to people that like, if you're, if you're all on a boat, what direction are you rowing? Where are you right now? Is everyone rowing in the right direction? Do we all want to go in that direction? And how do we know that along the way, we're moving in the right direction? And then if you see someone who's not rowing in the same direction, then say something. And most people don't because they're like, oh, I would never want to rat on my colleague. But then the minute we're making redundancies for whatever situation that we might be in, and we have to seriously look at redundancies, now all of a sudden, 
you'll bring up the fact that Bob doesn't work as hard as you because now you're looking at self-interest. So I was always trying to look at how do we um, how do we break down these barriers of trust and, and togetherness and understand that there's only one entity and everyone on that entity has a vested interest in making sure the entity moves in the right direction. And I was looking at share ownership and all of these things. And that's what kept me happy. Even though I was good at the product, it's the product's not what I love. Mm. And I drove home one day and I'll, I'll never forget it. And I drove home and I remember saying to myself, if I died today and I went up the pearly escalator and I, I always like to imagine like you, I think I kind of think you meet yourself at the top. I think the only judge in life is yourself. And at some point you've got to hold a mirror to yourself and ask yourself the question, was I true? Was I honorable? Did I do my best? Have I forgiven what I need to forgive? These sorts of existential questions. I remember thinking, if I met myself at the top of the escalator, would I be going, yes, man, you did it. You rocked it. That's why you went down to earth. You were totally on the right point. Absolutely. Well done. Or would I be like, yay, well done, Daniel. You were doing good. You've lived a good life. You've really cared. You've really helped. But it's not necessarily why you went down, but you did good. Not knocking that. But you're going to have to go again because you kind of missed the point a little bit. I remember it took me, well, it took me like 30 seconds to answer that question. And I thought I did not come down onto this earth to run a security company. And I can spin it however I want. And I can tell myself whatever I want around, well, I love the people and and security helps companies and schools and fire alarms, you know, save lives. All of these things are brilliant. But I knew that I was just uh, lying is a strong word. I was selling it to myself. And that's the day when I went home and I said to Christina, I walked in, I remember saying, I need to set up a company. And she looked at me and she said, oh my God, you mean it? And I said, I do. And I think, and I'd said it multiple times before now, but I, I think she knew that I was just having a bad day. And she said, what are you going to do? And, and I'll share this story fully. I share it in the book that came out. We wrote a book uh, or a chapter in a book a couple of months ago called Listen to the Whispers. And I just started really exploring my, taking my level of spirituality to the next level. I've always been quite spiritual and really interested in the philosophical um, been really interested in the philosophical side of the world and the universe and physics and all that stuff and i truly believe that we live in a world with a, a web of creation of energy all around us and we can interact with this web of energy all of the time and so i thought well if i really believe that and we've been on this journey for the last year where we started saying are we living what we believe it's a serious question to ask or are you just researching uh, but never actually really embodying it and some of the biggest decisions i'd made in the company i had made those decisions based on asking the universe questions when i really couldn't decide and i would ask for signs very clear very prescriptive uh, and i made a deal that when i ask for a sign that i action it and so therefore be very conscious of the question you ask and be very conscious of the message that you receive so I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to ask the universe a question and uh, you can call it praying. You can call it manifesting, whatever you want. It doesn't matter. And so I, I held this massive crystal calcite crystal that I've got. And, and I said, okay, if it is if for my highest and greatest good for the, uh, for the well-being of whole of humanity and for myself to sell the business as fast as possible in the least amount of time, time being the deciding factor, then please show me an eagle. 
if I am to continue raising money for the company um, and bring in another level of leadership and management and maybe remove myself out of it and really start to grow the company into this next phase of evolution, then please show me a fox. And if I am to do something else that I am not aware of that I need to investigate further, um, if I'm to do something else that I'm not aware of that I need to investigate further, then please show me a mouse. I need to know within 24 hours and I need the sign to be so clear that if you have to hit me with it, hit me with it. I don't want to see an osprey and think, is that an eagle? I don't want to see a hawk. I need to see an eagle. I don't want to see a wolf. I need to see a fox. I don't want to see a rat. I need to see a mouse. I need it within 24 hours. And I, I made sure I was really sat in my own sovereignty as I said that. Like I put a lot of thanks, a lot of time, and I really felt it. And I really, really meant it. This was a, I understood this was a huge turning point. Like my whole body's tingling right now as I share this. To sell a 37-year-old family business is a big decision. It's a really big decision. And I remember going to bed and, I, and I'd held this um, question in my mind, but I'd also learned about non-attachment. So I wasn't, I was completely unattached to the answer. I was ready and willing to perform any of those outcomes um, because I was in total surrender to it. I was like, I can't, I'm beyond making this decision now. And I was really looking for, if I really believe that I am part of this existence on earth, for some reason, beyond my mental conscious comprehension, then the higher self version of me, the quantum field, the web of everything, whatever you want to call it, is aware of that purpose. And in some way through my question, it could help guide me back to the path. Because I truly believe that no matter how far off the path you go, every second of every day, Mother Nature brings you a door to bring you back to that path. So I went to bed. I remember holding this crystal and it was throbbing. And I'm not a person who sees auras. I don't hear voices. I don't read crystals and none of that stuff. That's not who I am. I was holding this crystal. And it's, the, it's one of the only times I've ever felt a crystal literally throbbing like it was pulsing in my hands. And I went to bed and I woke up and I turned my phone off airplane mode. And I had a text off a business friend of mine who I always meet for good conversations and and I'd message that person to say, can I have some, I need a bit of a life chat. And I just had this response in the morning and it said, why are you sending me a message to meet for a chat when we have lunch booked today? And I said, we haven't got lunch booked today. And he said, yeah, we have. He said, you sent me a diary invite. I said, I haven't sent you a diary invite. And we always do lunches on diary invites. So I looked in my calendar, nothing. He sends me a screenshot of his calendar. There's a diary invite sent by me. And then I said, where are we meeting? And he always uses emojis. And he sent me two emojis. And he sent me an emoji of a baby's face and an emoji of an eagle. And, um, and I looked at it and I didn't see anything. I was like, okay, cool, we're meeting there. And then Christina comes downstairs and I said, you'll never guess, it's really weird. Uh, it's called Stuart, is this person. I said, Stuart's messaged me. I said, we already had a meeting today. I said, it's got to be. It's got to be like a sign. She said, where are you meeting? And I went, oh. And she said, what? And I said, we're meeting at the Eagle and Child. And she said, no way. And, I, and then I realized that when you go to the Eagle and Child, I mean, it's massive. They've got a massive eagle outside. 
and you go in and they say welcome to the eagle and child and you sit down and the the knives and the forks say eagle and child and on the fort on the walls there's photos of eagles like the whole place is just eagles couldn't be clearer i couldn't be clearer and i remember going oh and obviously christina knew what my three animals were that i chose and she said what are you gonna do and i honestly i was not ready for that and i was like can i swear yeah and i was like fuck okay <sighs> i said i'm gonna make one phone call and so she said who are you gonna phone and i'd had a, a friend who'd been like a sort of financial advisor to the firm for a while who knew was inside out who was in a space where this person was looking for maybe a change in their life and i thought you know what? i'm just gonna call them so i phoned them up and i said i texted i said look have you got time for a meeting I need to talk about something. Um, did I say I'm thinking of selling the firm? Maybe I did. I don't know. Anyway, they come on the phone. And they say, what's up? And I said, look, um, I know you're in this space at the minute and you're kind of pondering this, that and that. And I said, how would you think about buying the company? And he said, I thought we were raising half a million pounds. And I said, yeah, we were. We were. That was that was yesterday. Uh, today, I want to know if you want to buy the company. And he said, what's with the change of events? And I said, look, I just... I'm not the person to execute the implementation of that money. I'm just not. Um, I didn't go into the whole story, of course. I just said, uh, but that's ultimately what it was. I said, I'm just not. And it would be wrong of me to raise that money and, and try and drive that change forward. And I said, I'm willing to do a pretty good deal because you remember the deal with the universe was a speed being of essence. I said, so I'm willing to do a pretty good deal on the price but you got to get it done fast. He said, how fast? I was like, I don't know, a few weeks. Me and Christina had a conversation the night before and I was going out to Bali to become a master trainer and, and um, with Roger Hamilton. And she said, what would it feel like to land in Bali? What, she said, what do you want to happen? What's perfect? And I said, to land in Bali free. And she said, well, hold that thought in your mind. So I'd said to him, like, when I was on the phone to this person, I said, like, you know, five, six weeks. He said, give me 24 hours. And he phoned me back the next day and he said, deal. Five weeks later, I landed in Bali, turned my phone on and I had a text that said the money's in your bank. Well, wow. And I was at the airport, at the carousel in Bali. And that was, that was the beginning of a completely new point in my life. Amazing. I mean, that story itself that moment when you started to ask the universe for signs and how it completely changed your life. So that was a really powerful story that you just shared. Um, so let's move on to where we are today, right? So you got a business that you're coaching people. Uh, tell us more about what what you're doing these days and help, how are you helping people to, to, to improve their lives and, and this whole approach of conscious leadership? Cool. So to fast track really quickly then from that airport to today i basically went through a year of unlearning who i was 20 years in security like you just even though i didn't want to be part of it there's so many my whole world was attached to it and even though i loved i knew i loved coaching i knew i loved uh, self-actualization and self-progression i knew i loved i had a massive part of me that was about equality for the world that was about good use of resources that was about um conscious evolution of the self but 
how on earth, what am I going to do with that? How on earth do I put all this together? No idea. So I definitely spent a good year going, ah. Um, and then I spent about six months going, okay, okay. And it was in the back end of 2019 when it really started to come together. And at some point in 2019, me and Christina realized that why don't we work together? She'd helped with the business and the old business, but then started moving into her own stuff around. Uh, she's a, a trained energy healer in various modalities. She started looking into psychotherapy and we realized fundamentally we both want the same thing. We want to help people live better lives. I had a, a, a more of an emphasis on business. She had more of an emphasis on the human, but the commonality between us was that we worked with people who self-identified as leaders or entrepreneurs or people uh, who deemed themselves to have some sort of responsibility to some greater good, some greater cause. So we very quickly made sure that we only worked with people who were working towards the greatest good of humanity and themselves. If someone wanted me to help them with sales and marketing and better business systems, if their reason for doing that was just because they want to make more money, I don't want anything to do with it. That really helped us cut um, you know, our wheat from the chaff and who do we want to work with. And I started moving into coaching purely because I think I just, if, 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 I fell into it. I didn't know what to do. I knew I was good at that. I was told I was good at from that from a lot of people. And I thought, well, I'll just start there and I'm sure things will materialize because throughout all of this, as someone once asked me, they said, you know, at what point did you know what you're going to do before you made the decision to sell the company? I said, I had no idea what I was going to do. I didn't pray with what I'm going to do. I just asked if I should sell the company and I, and I got, yes. So I sold the company, no idea what to do. Um, but I was totally cool with that because I was really, 2019 was all about stepping into trust. If you truly believe that you came down here for a reason, then what can I do to help make sure I am in line with that reason? And I truly believe that if you start to observe and listen to the whispers about what's coming, you'll move in that direction. So coaching we fell into, but it only, uh, and, it, and it covered and it did things, it covered the bills, it, 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 it moved us forward. But really, it's when we found Human 5.0 and it's when we actually started to put our whole life's work of everything we'd learned about business, everything we'd learned about leadership, everything we'd learned about spirituality, about the self, about, um, uh, about energy, everything we'd read from all of the great teachings from our teachers, our gurus, our masters. And we put all that into Human 5.0. That's when we really started to find our flaw. So... For people who are listening and wondering, okay, what is human 5.0? What's the, you know, what, what, how would you explain it to people who are new to this concept? If you think about it like this, people always say, what came first, the chicken or the egg? And it's that catch 22 scenario. I thought about this a long time. The egg always comes first. It has to come first. And people say, well, what led, what lot led the egg? Well, something that was a bit like a chicken, but it wasn't a chicken. What hatched out the egg was the chicken. So what came first, the chicken or the egg? The egg. In society, as we move through the ages, what comes first, the human or the age? The human always comes first. And when there's enough humans of that type, then we move into a new age. The age doesn't give birth to the human. The human gives birth or lays way to the age. And we have moved through various ages and iterations of society. And this information age that we're in right now, like I call that like the fourth information age. And you could argue that this the industrial age, sorry, this the um 
there's a lot of crossovers between different people's versions of different energies. But this time that we're in, I think we're moving into a completely new age of wisdom, a completely new space for humanity where we see the world completely differently. And if you think of it from a Buckminster Fuller point of view, it's this um, ephemineralization age whereby we make make more use of things with less, where we understand resources, where humanity understands that we are on board a spaceship and that we can have the conscious awareness to be aware that we're on a spaceship and do something about that. Bees work together as a single unit and they, they have roles and they work towards the greatest good. But you could argue that bees don't necessarily understand their impact on the whole of humanity. They know what they're doing within their ecosystem of, of the world, of what they're doing. But it, it's human beings that can understand that the bees role and what that plays on the whole of humanity. Human beings have the capability to do that as well. Human beings have the capability to understand that I am a self and I'm a human being and so are you. Um, but I can also take my own thought away from myself and observe myself and question that and say, what am I doing? So we have this ability to separate the identity from the self. And then you start to realize that part of my role on this earth is to self-actualize, to be my highest potential and to become part of the whole. But then as soon as you realize that that I am part of that system, I also have to accept and understand that it's part of my obligation and responsibility to help other people along their process of self-actualization. And it's a self-perpetuating loop when you to begin to understand that there is no success of the self without success of the whole. That in order for me to succeed and for you to fail, as Daniel Smachtenberger once said, is a mild form of psychopathy. That 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 I'm okay with you not being okay. And I'm not okay with that. So as soon as I accept that I'm not okay, that you're not okay, well, then I have to work towards helping you to be okay if you so wish. And that changes the whole model. And so I'm going around the houses because I had to kind of set that context to come back to Human 5.0. And Human 5.0 is it's more than sovereign leadership. If sovereign leadership is teaching people how to be more sovereign in their self, to stand in their I am, to be the conscious curator of their own will and not be at the agenda of another agent or another person. But sovereign leadership doesn't necessarily take into account my connection with you as a whole, because sovereignty is me studying my own nation, studying my own power. And yeah, if we had a world of people studying more sovereignty, then that'd be brilliant. But to be a little bit vulgar you can be a sovereign agent but still be a dick mm. you just own it there's nothing about sovereignty that says i have to be a a, a nice person for the highest and greatest good so human 5.0 covers nine different aspects and there are nine aspects and uh, self-sovereignty is one of them but there are nine aspects which we feel are part of the attributes that a new form of leader will embody which will enable a completely different way in which business is done, which will enable a completely different way in which humans interact, the consumers work, the employees, if you want to use that word, or team members will, will facilitate the growth of that company, that entity. And it moves us from a purely cooperative, and it moves us from a model that is purely competition-based into a model that's more cooperative, more co-creative, whereby nobody 
has to lose because for as long as we have winners and losers, we are in a zero-sum game. And this next phase of humanity, if we look at if we look at the metrics around the planet now, I could cherry pick metrics that say we're getting worse, and I can cherry pick metrics that say we're getting better. We have a huge polarization of people across the planet. And at some point, this polarization is going to collapse into a world that is either uh, entropic, where it is dissolving into lower levels of complexity and we go backwards, or we're going to upskill, upgrade into a higher level of elegantly organized, um, into a more elegantly organized complex structure where we as human beings are understanding that we are all part of a system and that we have a part to play in that to completely rise as a collective. And Human 5.0 is the is a nine-week process for nine people. At the minute, we take people in groups of nine to take them through a process all the way through from wherever they are at to understanding where they're at, breaking down some of the things that make up where they're at at the minute. That's belief structures, attachments. Non-attachment is a big part of that. So many of us are attached to the way we see the world. And then, and then at the end, wrapping that all up with how you can start to be the master of your own mind, the, the controller of your own destiny, and really helping people to rebuild synaptic connections in the brain to literally rewire their brain of, of who they are, of how they see the world, so that they show up differently in that world, and that world starts to respond differently to them. So you talk about non-attachment, right? So one of the things I struggle is actually... Um, I, I know it's important to not have that attachment, but one thing that I might find myself lacking is attachment in the sense like the, the vision part of attachment. <laughs> I don't know how I'm explaining this. So like, how do, you, how do I get so clear of my vision that I'm attached enough, but yet not attached to the outcome? So this is a difference between someone asked me this on a on a live call the other day. Like, how do you how do you practice non-attachment and at the same time have goals and objectives? Yeah. Which might be slightly question to what you've said because you said you struggle finding the vision. Um, first of all, if if you're I thought I had a vision with the older company, but I realized I was lying to myself without even knowing it. I wasn't lying to myself. I wasn't telling the truth. And there is a difference between the two. It's taken me a long time to own the fact that my vision is the mobilization of the rise of the collective consciousness for the greatest good of humanity. And I've had brand people and other people say, your vision's too complex and people don't understand it and all these other words. I don't care. That's my vision. I know what it means. And fundamentally, I'm sorry, that's what matters the most. Does that mean that the average person on the street will go, oh, that's actually what I was thinking? No, not necessarily. I, I don't care at this stage. The people that do get that will get it. Now, I don't put that front and center of our company. That's my personal mission. Um, Christina's mission is more about helping people find their, their sole purpose on this planet. Fundamentally, we both believe that if we work on those things, they, they cross over in the middle. Mm. More people that are living their sole purpose of why they came here on this planet, we believe will help to mobilize the rise of the collective consciousness. So it, it works perfectly. So I think once you are honest with yourself about what you actually believe in and care, do you actually care about all human beings working together? And I'm not asking you this question, but like, it's just getting, some people don't give a shit, which is fine. Everyone's on their own journey. Some people don't even believe in reincarnation or that we come down here for any purpose. Fine. Believe whatever you want to believe, but be honest with it. And if you're honest with it, then it's much easier to find that vision. 
and and I'm much more comfortable about sharing my vision now and I never used to be because I'd be so worried that what if they don't like my vision and what if oh, what if they think a, the complete opposite vision well now we both have a vision but we think different things I'm okay with that now I'm totally okay with that in fact I welcome it because it's only through that com- that conversation that we we each grow and we all grow so getting clear on the vision i think really comes down to getting clear on your values mm. mm-hmm. um I, i've never understood the power of values until last year and i had a company for a few decades like values are so important and you but you only truly know a value when you have to make a decision and there'll be and i'll use something really simple let's say cutting saving some money on something in the company but to save that money on the company means you're going to have to use that product that uh, is manufactured where people are pay- paid less. Let's just say that you're aware of that information. And let's say one of your values is people being tra- treated fairly. And if you stick with the current product, you're going to have to pay more money for it. What do you do? Those sorts of questions that really challenge your values. It's all right when the wave's up and you're on the surfboard and you're you're rolling, but you only really see the true colors of anybody or any company or any brand or employees or business partners when they fall off the surfboard. Now, what are they going to do? Now the proverbial shits hit the fan. You know, how did they deal with that? So when you're clear on your values, so our three values are truth, greatest good, and beauty. And beauty in the the fullest expression of, of how it is, not just something that's aesthetically beautiful. So... So once you're clear on your once you're clear on your values, then it's much easier to find your vision because you understand that your vision is in line with that, and and that means you have to start asking serious questions. And they always say that the quality of your life is directly related to the quality of the questions that you ask. That has a truth in it, but it's not the truth. It's not true, and that's because I feel that the quality of your life is directly related to the quality of the actions you've taken from the quality of the answers you get from the quality of the question that you ask. Because if you're going to ask quality questions, then you're going to get quality answers. But if you're not going to take quality action on the quality answer, you might as well have never asked the quality question in the first place. So I don't think your life is directly related to the quality of the questions you ask, but it's a starting point. Yeah. Because if you don't begin with asking quality questions, you're definitely never going to get quality answers. So with once you start asking yourself these quality questions based on your values, then you're going to start getting some answers and they're either going to be massively in line with what you're doing or they're going to mean you're going to need to change some shit. Mm. And you can avoid that all you want like I did with the company. But one day you'll ask yourself that question and you'll think, Do you know what? I'm not here to mess about. And that's what I used to say. I did not come down here to fuck about. Uh, and the more you say, eventually you reach this point where you're like, right, so what are you going to do? And that has now completely helped us shift fully. And non-attachment is so much more easier to practice when you start to understand that you live in a world of impermanence. Mm. There is absolutely nothing static in this world. We, are, we live in a world of nature. Human beings are not separate from that. We're not nature over there and we're us we are nature we're constantly changing the only constant in life is change and yet it is the single thing people fear the most and yet it's happening every second of every day so get used to it and i I, we ask our students one simple question when they when if you want to practice non-attachment do you accept that we live in a world of impermanence seriously 
everyone you know is going to die. Every person that works for you at some point is not. You know, you're going to, you're going to, all the clothes that you have at some point will fall apart. The, you can't take your watch with you when you die. Like, well, whatever it is that you're attached to. And we break attachments down into three parts. Uh, external attachments, so things. Internal attachments, which is ideals and opinions and judgments. And then being attachments, which is things you do. I go to the gym at six o'clock on a Friday. You ever met somebody that goes to the gym every single day at six o'clock? If they do not go to the gym that day, they're grumpy. And they're beating themselves up with a stick because I didn't get to the gym today. So we're we're attached to different things. And as soon as you realize that nothing is static, everything changes, it becomes much easier to practice non-attachment. So when it comes to having a vision or a goal, yeah, have it. I mean, we need a direction. But don't assume that your direction is the direction and that you absolutely have to stick to that. Water will always find its way back to the sea, but it's not fixated on a particular path. Otherwise, rivers would be straight assuming that that path is the fastest path. Water will always find its way there, but it moves along the way because things are always changing. You can never know. Lao Tzu said, don't judge the dream till the dream's over. So don't assume your goal is the goal until you've kind of dead. Mm, Very, very powerful. I like that. So one of the things that um, you've sort of, um, I know you're involved in is the whole movement towards cryptocurrency. And I've never had any conversation with you around this. So I'm really keen to explore that. What's your perspective of this whole space? So this all is rooted. So this is all really rooted around the future of humanity. It's not that I'm interested in crypto per se. Mm. I mean, I'm interested in it. I love technology. I really am a fan of high tech, high nature. I think we can coexist beautifully so long as we're in the right relations with technology. But you only have to stop to take a look at society to understand that society goes through changes. But I personally think those changes are more like, um, they're more like electrons around a nucleus in the sense that I think we jump. Now, I know that things grow and progress like a child growing up, but there comes a point when things suddenly aren't at the level they're at, they're at another level. And no one really saw that happening. Not like a building being built where there's a brick and another brick and another brick. We can retrospectively look back and see this linear progression, but it's almost like the adoption and implementation of things all of a sudden reaches this critical point where it's just, it just is all of a sudden. And the minute I really started to look at blockchain technology, it it's phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. It is it's scalable. It is transparent. It is, what's the word I'm looking for? It's distributed and true from a point of view that it is recorded on a blockchain where it's recorded on the blockchain whereby uh, everyone has that ability to see and it's got consensus so that all parties agree that that is a recorded transaction on the ledger. It just has so many, as far as the transformation of data and information goes and the recording of that, it's a huge step in how we can transact. I'm definitely not, I'm neither pro nor anti-government whatsoever. I think they do a phenomenal job at, at a very difficult task. Like I would, I don't think I could be a politician and I've thought about it in the past as well, but it's just, it's a really difficult job for everybody and I don't care who you are and you get into it, you're going to really annoy a lot of people and you're going to really please a lot of other people and it must be a really difficult job. 
However, historically, there's been a lot of problems with where governments have spent money, who they spent the money on, whether they've got affiliations with companies, where do they get donations from, all of these things. And I don't just mean governments, it could be charities, it can be uh, PLC companies. Where there's money involved, we have a history of people abusing that process. So cryptocurrencies have the potential to solve that. They have the potential to offer transparency into a world which is a very old system that has just been band-aided for years and years and years. As someone once said, it's quicker for me to get on an airplane, fly to Brazil, and go and give someone a lot of money than it is for me to send the money electronically. So in a world where I can, you can say to me, oh, what's the, um, who is the 14th person to walk on the moon? And probably within, I don't know, whether you're a faster typer or speaker uh, into your phone, you could get that answer in 10 seconds. Boom, like that. So we are, we are, we're in an age of information where we can transfer, hold, and query data and information in seconds. And yet we can't send money which doesn't even exist. It's not even like, it's not like it has to render on a screen and display a 1080p megapixel image. It's just, it's just data, it's just numbers on a screen. We can't transact that data and settle that data uh, even in a few hours. It takes days. And during that time, the sender's worried that the receiver's not going to get it. During that time, the receiver in another country's just waiting. And then it comes into the bank, but they don't use their bank. They use their mobile phone to pay and then they've got to transfer it from the mobile phone to the bank. It's just... The transference of money and the settlement as money is, is, a, is a really old industry. And I absolutely think that blockchain technology, specifically cryptocurrencies, have the capability today, let alone where they're going in the future, to solve that. And that's going to unlock huge potential around the world. I mean, imagine right now, let's say you're sat in a house that's worth 100,000 whatevers. And uh, let's just imagine you've got a mortgage and the mortgage or a bond on the house and it's and it's worth 50. So you've got 50,000 units of currency dollars, let's say, of, of equity, of stored asset that's your asset. Imagine being able to go to a shop and buy a pack of chewing gum with a fraction of the brick from your house. You couldn't do that today. You either sell the house or remortgage it or something like that or get some get a um, some credit with it secured against the house. But the minute we can put value onto a ledger, which is transparent, which is recorded, which is can move in seconds, then I can transfer the value of a fraction of my brick to you to buy a form if we both agree it in seconds. Now, you don't get that fraction of that brick, but, but it's recorded that you own it and you can transfer the fraction of that brick. It doesn't matter that I'm living in the house at that time. And if you wanted to exchange the fraction of that brick for some money at some point, you find someone that would offer the exchange of that value and you'd get whatever you want in exchange, a particular currency, or maybe you want to buy something or whatever it is. But it's the movement of value, just like we have the movement of data right now. And if you go and search for who's the 14th person on the moon, you don't think about where that's stored, that, that piece of information. You just see it. It's just information. And so it's, it's changing our mindset across to, to value. And the reason why I'm interested in it is because nothing is static. Everything changes. And that includes leadership. And that includes how we see the world. That includes how businesses operate. Things are constantly evolving. And we're, we're on a precipice right now where the way in which humanity interacts, and that includes information, includes value, includes data, includes money, is, is changing. And, 
and I strongly believe that we are at a point where where our attachment towards money and the way in which we see finance, which does govern, I don't care how how you want to see the world where most people accept and are happy to accept we live in a capitalist economy. And so at least the Western world anyway. So it, it, this movement that we're moving into will require a breakdown in the way in which we see finances and govern finances. So if a group of people want to come together and pool resources because they wish to do that for what they deem to be the greatest good of humanity, then in a in a world where value can be exchanged like we exchange information, that is much more easier to facilitate than it is today. Mm. And I think that will greatly change how people can come together. It will make a lot of change in a lot of areas, but the area that I'm most interested in is how people can begin to soften their own attachment to value. Because the minute I know I'm looked after and my community is looked after and we're looking to expand that and welcoming other people, we can pool assets and resources together just like we could pool data and information together. Just like we can pull, 10 people can pull together and say, these are the skills that we've got and we're happy to see those skills as equal. People could come together with their assets and resources and value and say, I'm not bothered about putting a who's got more. I'm all, I'm all in. And I know this. And is, that changes the game. This is something you're actually actively organizing, right? Right now. Um, and we are sort of in this period of coronavirus crisis lockdown. Uh, tell us more about what you, what you are sort of um, been up to, because I know you've been actively actually doing things here in this space. So, this brings us back to it covers two things now because one of the nine aspects of human 5.0 is sensible sense making and with everything going on right now the amount of fake news and non-fake news and twisted news and clickbait headlines and videos that are just fake and then there's videos that have got some information in it that makes you pause and think there's just there's a whole array of it there has never been a time where we need to make better sense of the world and sense-making is different from discernment. Discernment is the ability to judge something, but that judgment in itself is still based on my bias. It's still based on my perception of the world. So I can discern if something is good, but someone else could discern that that's bad because we all see the world through our lens. Sense-making, I deem sense-making as the um, ideally the collective responsibility to make sense of information that we are judging and what does that mean? And in this world where there's so much information at our fingertips and some of that information can really serve us and some of that information really doesn't serve us, it serves individual or group agendas. This is the difference between the common good and the greatest good. Um, so I started to look at the world of crypto and look at the world of finance and look at the economy and look at geopolitical changes around the planet, of which there are huge changes going on right now, even before coronavirus, and really started to ask myself the question, how can I segment these out and talk about them? Because you can't. You cannot separate discussing blockchain without really discussing cryptocurrencies, which are an application of blockchain, just like websites is an application of the internet, because so many other things run on the internet through cl cloud computing. Um, so you can't talk about blockchain without talking about crypto. You can't talk about crypto without talking about finance. You can't talk about finance without talking about the economy. You can't talk about the economy without talking about geopolitical affairs. You can't talk about geopolitical affairs without discussing business. You can't discuss business without discussing leadership. It's just... It's all interlinked. And this break, it's all interlinked. And I remember Christina saying there is no work-life balance. There's just life. To have work-life balance means that you could, and they say you spend 70% of your life thinking about work, 
talking about work, doing work, or something like that. So if you don't like your job, then potentially 70% of everything you are, you don't like, and 30% you get. Well, that's a crap deal. I'm not okay with that, which is why the minute you think about it is just life, and sometimes you're getting paid for life, and sometimes you're not. That's all work is. It's an exchange for money, because right now, money's the tool with which you most people would live their life with. So it's easy to think about what percentage of your time are you getting paid for or not. But even then, that's an arbitrary measurement, really. If you're enjoying what you're doing, then that's what's important. So um, once you realize you can't really split all these things out, then it really just becomes a question, okay, how do we look at them all and make sense of it? How do we aggregate all of this data, all of this information, and then begin to query it in a manner that makes sense? And so I created a group called Future Leaders Today to practice sensible sense making and actually practice it. So we had a call, uh, we have a call uh, once a week at the minute, and we agreed last week to actually start to take pieces of information, strip them down into what are the points that this information is giving or trying to give, and then go out there as a team and challenge that, and not challenge it, uh, investigate it question it, verify it, and then allow other people to check our verification to confirm as a group that it is true. So we can take a video and do our best to understand what are the key points that this video is making to support their narrative so that then we can go out there and go, well, let's take this little point, let's go and check that. And here's me, I checked it at this time and allow that to be a public record for people to be able to verify our verifications so that an observer or a person on the fence can look at that video, think, oh, wow, that's really powerful. Look at the sense making and understand that people have checked that, but also understand that when other people check it, if you believe it, then you're handing over your sense making by proxy to another person, which is okay, so long as you're okay that their sense making is okay. And I know that that can seem long winded. And half the reason people don't check things is because it is time consuming. And so most of us just don't. But that just leads to a world where false information, genuinely just trying to be false and serve a particular agenda, which is not helping the the information war that is going on right now. And it, is, it does appear like once you start to peel back the layers, it is just people batting around narratives to support personal agendas and it's damaging and it's really causing polarization and fractiousness between people and we shouldn't be arguing mm. we really shouldn't be arguing so okay i'm I'm sort of looking at the time so um i think we want to wrap it up so what's your last advice for anyone listening to this i would say if you're looking to become a more wholesome human being and understand this world at a greater level, understand your part to play in this world, understand how you contribute to and are part of and receive benefit from the whole, then begin with then begin with the nine aspects of human 5.0. That's not a self-promotion tool, but it's our best thinking for where we're at. And if you think it can be improved, we're always open to receiving that information, but begin with the nine aspects of human 5.0. We produced a playbook called The Rough Guide to Self-Actualization. And it kind of covers all the different points and it really begins people to be able to practice sensible sense-making, to begin to look at their non-attachment. Because 
as people are becoming more vocal, which I'm seeing through all of this COVID-19 stuff, as people are sharing more, we're just seeing more and more people who are becoming angry because there's a lot of anger out there because people have got very different narratives. And some of that is because they're attached to their own narrative. And some of that is because people aren't doing good sense making on everything that's going on out there. And that you can do sense making on almost anything. You can at least take it to a certain point and not just believe whatever you're reading, watching or seeing. So I would really encourage people, if you actually are bothered about stepping into a higher version of yourself as a leader, because I believe it is these leaders that will be the world that we will be in in the next couple of decades, then begin that work today. Future leaders of tomorrow begin today. Uh, you can get that from our, you can download that playbook from our website, which is www.evolutionary-human.com. I need to round off that because I said that with an intonation, didn't I? And if you want to get in touch with myself directly, then the links are on that website, or you can find me on danielhalenko.com. Awesome. So thank you very much, Daniel. Uh, it's been such an insightful conversation. And it's, I think it's a very powerful conversation. And I think there's a lot of takeaways that we've uh, covered. And I'd like to thank you for spending your time with me and on this Stories of Expansion podcast. And for those of you who are interested to take more action, please check out Daniel Halenko, the show notes. Um, yeah, thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for listening. We would love to hear from you. Please share with us what you found useful and inspiring about this episode. If you know somebody who is making a big difference in the world, we should interview them. Let us know. Please drop us an email at storiesofexpansion at gmail.com.